four things I need and we are going to consider this month. We have already started doing two. We have recommenced our series on Sunday morning in the Gospel of John. We have started a series on Bible doctrines, which will be the first Sunday evening of every month. Not every Sunday evening, thankfully, but the first Sunday evening of every month. And that will tie in with a home group, which will discuss the doctrine then to try and put it into practice. And then the third thing we need to do is look at what the Bible has to say about eldership. Because in the members meeting, uh, you, and we took this as God's uh, guidance, gave us uh, the uh, permission, as it were, uh, to start the process uh, to look at adding to the eldership. When we talk about new elders, we're not talking about replacing the present elders. We're thinking about adding uh, to our number because none of us are getting any younger. We're thinking of the future. So that's what we'll start doing tonight. I've got too much here, right? Uh, I've got my watch, but we'll need two messages at least. So God willing, I will continue looking at this next Sunday morning. I know it's supposed to be gospel. I'll try my best to bring the gospel in, but as many of our members then as possible can hear about the qualifications for eldership. And then the fourth thing is we need to recommence our series in 1 Thessalonians. So God willing, the Sunday after next, we'll be doing that. Is that clear? So tonight, eldership. The most important passage in the Bible concerning eldership is 1 Timothy 3. We're not going to look at the qualifications there tonight. We'll do that next Sunday morning. It's just the first part of the first, well, the first verse that I want us to consider. 1 Timothy 3, 1. This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, I'll explain that word in a minute. We haven't got uh, Anglican uh, tendencies coming in. He desires a good work a noble work. Now, there are other passages as well, and I hope you've got your Bible with you because we're going to look at them. So, my first point this evening is just the terminology because, as you can see, the verses which talk about the qualifications of elders are not talking about elders, but bishops. And we're not appointing bishops here, right? So, what is the word bishop? Well, the word bishop comes from the word, the Greek word, episkopos, which means overseer. Overseer. So a better translation, and the New King James should have translated it this way, if anyone desires the position of an overseer, he desires a noble work. What's an overseer? An overseer has oversight, and it's oversight over the people of God. And then the word elder, what's that, you ask? Well, this comes from another Greek word, presbyter. Or presbyteros is the Greek, 
and then the English word presbyter. What is elder? Well, it explains itself, doesn't it? It's an experienced, mature, usually older, not necessarily by age, but in terms of Christian experience, leader that were in the Jewish synagogue, but then later uh, were replicated in the church. So they were rulers, spiritual, religious rulers amongst God's people. So there are two terms we've looked at so far. Overseer, which is translated bishop. Elder, or presbyter. And then there's one other word which we're going to look at, and that's the word pastor. Pastor. An elder is a pastor. What's a pastor? Well, we all know what a pastor is, don't we? Living in Wales, a pastor is somebody who looks after sheep. So if the people of God are likened to a flock, then the pastor is the shepherd of the flock. Now then, take your Bibles and look at the verse in the reading, uh, Acts 20, verse 17. Paul is addressing the elders in Ephesus, right? That was clear, wasn't it, in the reading? So, verse 17 says, He sent and called for the elders of the church. So, we are thinking maybe of one congregation. There may have been more than one. And there were a number of elders. So, a number of men. But then, look at verse... 28. Verse 28. What word is in verse 28? Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. I'm trying to teach tonight as well as preach. Overseers. So the elders are the overseers in Ephesus. And then he's talking about the flock. What is that? They are pastors in Ephesus. Can you see how these terms, uh, overseer or bishop, uh, elder, ruler, and pastor, they're used interchangeably. The next uh, verses I got is Titus, chapter 1. After Timothy, these are the most famous verses to do with eldership. Titus, chapter 1. And... What do we have in Titus chapter 1? Verse 5. I left you in Crete, Paul says to Titus, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city. Elders in every city. And then verse 7. For a bishop, an overseer must be blameless. So after telling Titus to appoint elders in every city, Paul goes on to give, like 1 Timothy 3, the qualifications for an elder, but he calls him an overseer, a bishop. Can you see? The elders are the overseers. Peter, 1 Peter, 1 Peter, chapter 5. Notice the terms again. 1 Peter, the first verse in 1 Peter, chapter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort you, who am a fellow elder. Isn't that interesting? The man who, according to some, became the bishop of Rome, and from whom the papacy arose, 
says, I am a fellow elder. I don't know if the Pope has seen that. And what does he say? Verse 2, shepherd, pastor the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. And he talks about not being lords, but leading by example. So then, I think those are the main verses in terms of defining our terms. Is everybody clear this evening that a bishop or an overseer is the same as a presbyter or an elder, and that's the same as the pastor? So what does that mean? From the evidence that we've got so far, it means from the New Testament, uh, I don't know what church or churches in terms of their different traditions do, but from the New Testament, there would have been a plurality of elders, right? More than one. So not a one-man ministry. And there would have been a parity of elders. Dear me, what's that? Parity is they're all on the same level. If Peter said, I'm a fellow elder, none of us can put ourselves above uh, the other elders. It was only later that things got more confusing. In the New Testament, it was wonderfully simple, wasn't it? The organization that God has given to the church, the offices of the church, is the overseer, the elder, the uh, um, pastor, whatever term you use, you've got the elders with spiritual oversight. And then there's one other office. Does anybody know what office that is? Acts chapter 6. The deacons. And they look after the physical side. So elders and deacons. Those are the two offices that we have in the New Testament. Elders. You shouldn't be doing deacons work. Elders are to be released to the spiritual oversights. We're not very good at that, are we? We, we need to keep that separation. So that's the first thing. I hope you're all still with me. <laughs> Secondly, how did eldership come about? How, how did it happen? You, you've got life, haven't you? In the New Testament, it's beating with spiritual life. And that's good. Isn't that what we need? More of the Spirit. But the thing is, if you've got life, you do need some organization. Otherwise, it's going to be chaos, isn't it? And God, in his word, has ordained a certain degree of godly spiritual organization. I also believe, incidentally, that God gifts certain people. Nehemiah comes to mind in the Old Testament as an organizer. And you may think of the Apostle Paul as another one in the New Testament. Uh, Thomas Charles here in Wales, Howell Harris. They, they were gifted in administration. So how did elders come about? You know how deacons came about. We're told in Acts chapter 6 that the leaders of the church were getting overwhelmed in looking after the poor widows. There were complaints and they were getting distracted from what they were called to do, which was look after the flock. 
and so they appointed deacons to look after the physical needs. There's nothing, unless somebody can show me, which talks about the office of elders being instituted. Instead, we just suddenly come across them in the book of Acts. Incidentally, it's as if you're wandering through Acts and suddenly you have an elder mentioned. Where did they come from? Uh, so when you have uh, the council in Jerusalem, uh, Paul and Barnabas are sent, aren't they, uh, with a gift to the elders, uh, the church at Antioch, I'm sorry, not the council of Jerusalem. They send Paul and elders with a gift to the elders of the church at Jerusalem. We don't know how those elders came to be. So what's the origin of elders? Where, where have we come from? The New Testament didn't happen in a vacuum. God had his people in the Old Testament. And it's in the Old Testament where you have elders to begin with. We haven't got time to look at the verses, but in Exodus, Moses appointed elders to rule over the people. Also in Exodus, Moses was told to have a deputy because the work was too great for him. And what you have then is the people of God, whether you call it a church or not, it doesn't matter, but the people of God throughout the Old Testament, they had elders over them. Uh, these mature, godly, uh, older people. And what the New Testament church seems to have done is carried that on. So Paul and Barnabas, in their first missionary journey, they appointed elders in each church that they went to. So we read of Paul and Barnabas uh, then being sent with a gift before that to the elders of the church at Jerusalem. And in Titus, uh, Paul commanding Titus to set up elders in every city. So it's just there because it was in the Old Testament. But we can say that God has appointed this office uh, in uh, his charge to the elders at Ephesus. Uh, Paul said, the flock over whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And in Ephesians 4, we're told that pastors, which I'm taking to be elders, are given by the Saviour to the church. So when we're looking to appoint additions to the eldership, what we're thinking of, who is God calling amongst us to serve in this position? That's big, isn't it? It's not about who do I want as an elder? Oh, I want so-and-so because they're my friend. Who does God want? It's an awesome, awesome thing. That's why Paul says, coming to the verse we're looking at, it is a noble task. If a person sets his heart on becoming an elder, it's a noble task. We must be careful with this. If anyone desires to become an elder, that's not carnal ambition. It's like the call to the ministry of the word, which me and Andy and uh, God-willing Nathan have experienced. Who is sufficient to lead the people of God? No, thank you. Not me. But there is this inner sense of call, the desire, godly ambition. Can I use that word? And that's confirmed by the call of the church then. If a person says they're called to eldership and the church doesn't recognize that call, they're not called. 
And some people, they may feel themselves completely unsuitable to be elders. And the church recognises that they are suitable. If it's all right for me to mention this, we prayed uh, for uh, a new elders once. I won't say <laughs> which ones. And I remember one elder praying uh, for someone who just didn't feel uh, they were suitable. And I thought, that's lovely. That's a lovely attitude to have. We prayed, don't we, that God would call young men to the ministry of the word. I've never heard somebody pray that God would raise up elders. We pray that God would send missionaries. Excellent. But have we prayed that God would raise up uh, future leaders amongst his people? So, terminology, the origin of elders, and then my main point tonight is simply to ask the question, what do they do? What's the function of an elder? If Paul is saying it's a noble task, elders, it's, I speak as a fellow elder, it's often a thankless task, isn't it? Having an elders meeting on a Saturday morning, that's tough. But it's a noble task. It's the greatest of all tasks, I would say. So what does an elder... An elder doesn't just attend elders' meetings. Thank God. An elder isn't just a committee person. There is that. So what is an elder? Well, let's come back. This plurality. The church in Ephesus had several elders to look after the flock. What are we talking about? I'm going to use this illustration here. The elders are a team. I have to be careful. I don't know enough about football, but I can say each player in the team is on the same level. No one player is more important than the other. But then, in the team, each player will have a different function. So there will be a captain. There has to be a captain. The ball or the buck has to stop somewhere. The captain isn't the manager, but there is a captain. He's not more important than the others, but there's a captain. There's defence. Uh, there's, um, I don't know, uh, attack, strikers. There, there's the poor goalkeeper. You've got different functions within a team. And so the eldership is the team. It's the team ministry. The leadership of the church in the New Testament was never a one-man job. Not even the great apostle Paul was a one-man job. In his missionary journeys, it was Paul and Barnabas. It was Paul and Silas. It was Paul and Timothy. You know, the, the work is too great for one man to do. Uh, John Calvin put it like this. It is no light matter to represent God's Son. It's such a great task as as erecting and extending God's kingdom, caring for the salvation of souls whom the Lord himself has deigned to purchase with his own blood and ruling the church, which is his inheritance. Boys, who is sufficient for this? No one man can do it. Too much. And it also protects the church from the abuses of power. There's much spiritual abuse going on at the moment in evangelicalism. It's all coming out. 
And so this team ministry, this accountability protects from that. So we're a team. Whoever we add to the eldership, and you're involved, we are asking for your nominations. We want you to pray with us so that we know the men that the Lord is leading us to. But they will have to be part of this team. If they can't be part of this team, if they can't be team players on this team, then they're clearly not suitable for eldership at this moment. Uh, Warren Wearsby, he's very good, right? Warren Wearsby, very practical. He puts it like this. It is a wonderful thing when the elders and the deacons, and can I say the members as well, work together in harmony as a team. It is tragic when a pastor tries to secure uh, a position where he's a dictator, or when an officer, be they an elder or a deacon, tries to be a preeminent uh, big hitter. Uh, who was it in the early church? Dio uh, Diotrephes, who loved the preeminence. We're a team. We want team players. We want godly team players. Very well then, this team. Brothers in arms. I like that. Brothers in arms. We're in a battle. And we're on the front line, the pastors especially on the front line, because they're holding up the standard. And he knows, they know, we've got more than one pastor, that the elders are behind him. Uh, he's not going uh, into battle unsure as to whether uh, his elders are watching his back. Can you see how vital it is? Uh, this team, this team. So then, what do we do? Well, look at the terms again. Overseer. We rule. Not like the world rules. We lead by example. I find that so challenging. Leading by example. Servant leadership. That's how Jesus was. So I need to say this. I am an elder. Andy's an elder. If Nathan... If it's God's will for Nathan to become an assistant, he's an elder. So that's one function. The other, of course, is feeding the flock, the pastor. So what's that? That's the preaching and the teaching side. And then there is the care of the flock. That's more of the pastoring, what we normally mean by uh, pastoring. So those are the functions, right? But then you've got these two things. I need to give you an, another verse here now. So if you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is where we get very practical and it's quite revolutionary. It shouldn't be revolutionary because we're a Presbyterian church, but it might be revolutionary to some of you. Verse 17 of 1 Timothy 5. Incidentally, poor Timothy. He was a young pastor. And do you know who he was following? The great apostle Paul. Who would have wanted to do that? And he was having problems with some of his elders. 
and it was giving him stress. And he was having stomach problems. And Paul had to say to him, Timothy, take a little wine in order to settle your stomach. And Paul also says, and this is the key verse, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honour. And this is the distinction that we need to grasp, especially those who labour in the word and doctrine. So there are two things here. There's a ruling elder. All the elders have the rule, but there is this emphasis on those who rule. But then it says, certain of the elders are to labour, and that means to toil, to give themselves to the ministry of the word. It's like Act 6, isn't it? The leaders of the church said, appoint deacons so that we will addict ourselves, give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Let me quote John Murray here. Not John J. Murray, but the old John Murray. All elders exercise rule in the church, including the pastors. But some, and this is me and Andy, in virtue of their gifts and calling, labour in preaching and teaching. So what's radical, you ask? Well, it is this. All the elders are the pastors. Whereas what we normally called the pastor is one or more of the elders set apart to minister the word of God. That doesn't mean to say that the minister, I'm going to use the word minister now to describe what we normally call the pastor. That doesn't mean to say that the minister isn't involved in the pastoral oversight. But the point of eldership is to keep the minister in the pulpit so that he isn't having to go hither and thither all the time. He can give himself to the word and prayer. I don't think we've got that. Now then, I'm going to quote here uh, several people just to help us. Douglas Macmillan. Who here heard Douglas Macmillan preach in this pulpit? I feel a great honour to stand in the same pulpit that Douglas Macmillan stood in. He's in glory now, a great loss. He died young. He was a shepherd. Big, big man, wasn't he? Didn't he fill this pulpit? In more than one sense, but a big heart. A, a godly preacher. He preached in a mission once for us. And Keith told me, uh, because the Spirit came and anointed the Word, he just went on preaching. Not, not in order to drag on, but there was such an anointing. Now, listen to Douglas Macmillan here. This is not me. This is Douglas Macmillan. We tend to ask, what kind of pastor is your minister? What kind of pastor is your pastor? What Paul is asking is, what kind of pastors are your elders? That's quite revolutionary, isn't it? So think of the team. Who's the manager of the team? Jesus Christ, the head of the church. The elders... He's the great shepherd. I'm using different metaphors now, aren't I? He's the great shepherd of the sheep. The elders are the under 
shepherds. And within the team, there are just a variety of functions. And the most important function, because it's got to do with the word of God, is those that have been set apart from the elders to preach that word. And they need a prophetic calling, I believe, to do that. Uh, think of the Old Testament, the offices of the Messiah. I know I'm going uh, on for a bit too long here, but Jesus Christ was prophet, priest, and king. Uh, the uh, three offices are seen not just in Jesus Christ, but in his body. And so the elders have that kingly role, don't they? To rule over the church. The church isn't a democracy. Before you sack me, I'll repeat it. The church isn't a democracy. It's a theocracy. A democracy is where the will of the people rules. A theocracy is where God rules. The church is the Israel of God. Israel was the theocracy in the Old Testament. It is now the church. Where does the will of the people come? The will of the people is a confirmation of the will of God. That's why we vote on elders. We're, we're not asking you to choose who you want or who I want. Who does God want? The prophets, they were the ones who were bringing the word of God. Isn't that what the minister does? I know we're not prophetic in the sense we speak the word of God, but there's a prophetic element. The call of the prophet is like the call to the ministry in that sense. And of course, the minister is a bit like the priest. Uh, we'll come to this in Thessalonians. But the priests were provided for by the people. The Levites were provided for by the rest of the people. And even though Paul took up tent making, that was an exceptional case. The normal practice was uh, and is for those in ministry to be provided for. And you're all priests. The priesthood of every believer. So, the word is central. Let, let me quote, I'm coming to a conclusion. Let me quote Kuiper, uh, another good Presbyterian. Everything the church does is subsi subsidiary, auxiliary to the preaching of the word. Who's the captain of the team? It's the minister. Why? Is it because he's some kind of guru? Is it because he's a more important person? Not at all. It's because of his position in opening the word of God. Everything this church does flows from the ministry of the word. It's easier having an assistant pastor because it's not just about me then. I'm not standing here just talking about myself. It's the ministry of the word. That's the very raison d'etre of the church. You don't have a church unless you have the ministry of the word. You can have a church and not have a lot of activities. Thank God for all the good things we are enabled to do. But we could still function as a church without them. But there wouldn't be a church here without the preaching of the word. Without the Lord's Supper and baptism. And who ministers those things of God? It's the minister. So, can you see where we're getting at, too? This team is working 
to look after the church. It's a privilege to look after you, brothers and sisters. It's not easy at times, but it's a privilege. But there's no dichotomy between the elders looking after the church and the ministry of the word. The, the eldership are looking after the church by looking after the ministers. I'm going to quote Douglas Macmillan again. Uh, it's much better doing it this way. <laughs> this is not me now, right? This, this is the view that there are different ways of doing these things, but this is the particular context we are in and have been in for many, many centuries. So what are the elders there for? I wouldn't want a big seat there again, right? In the old Presbyterian church, there was the seat vowed, the big seat, and all the elders would be seated on it, and they'd be very respectable, and uh, often they were not spiritual men. They were just the big wigs in society. We don't want that. But the image of the big seat is good because it shows these men holding up the ministry of the word. Supporting the ministry of the world. It's hard being on the front line. It's a spiritual battle. It's worse than any physical battle. And it can be so lonely. And you've got these brothers in arms, not just holding you up in prayer, but holding you up, encouraging you. This is how Douglas Macmillan puts it. This means for the minister such freedom from other pastoral duties as is required for preaching must be guaranteed must be guaranteed. Uh, in fact, one of the first ministerial duties of the eldership as a body and as individuals must be to take care for the welfare of the man or the men they have called as their minister. Now, this is good. It's important for me as well as for you. Wise, godly encouragement at the right time as well as gracious correction and brotherly Counsel, I like that. Also given at the right time, and that is never immediately after a sermon. <laughs> May well rescue a ministry from mediocrity, save it from depressingly unhelpful or wearisome, patchy, despondent performance, and direct it into increasingly useful channels. So if it's all right for me to give this as an example... A constructive comment I had a few years ago was from one elder, and it was very helpful. I wasn't preaching through a book of the Bible at the time, and this elder, he didn't judge me. He just said it would be good if we could have a book again. It would be good if we could have a book to go through again. Uh, what's not constructive? Uh, this is what I've heard from some pastors then. Uh, they've had um, elders say to them, uh, you don't preach the gospel. Well, you don't feel like preaching anymore after that, do you? Douglas Macmillan goes on. I, I am winding down, I promise. I've said that too often already. Probably few elders realize the potent influence they can exert for good or ill upon the minister of the word. It's all too easy and perhaps all too common for potentially powerful ministries to be hindered, even destroyed by bad unsympathetic, unspiritual, and even unchristian attitudes in the eldership. I am, this is Macmillan. I am personally quite convinced that as a general rule, no preacher will minister the word in power if his eldership does not support him with prayer, pastoral concern, 
and personal encouragements. He should know, you should know, that he's not fighting, we're not fighting the battle entirely on our own. I wouldn't be true to my Lord and Saviour if I didn't say tonight that we've had a difficult few years. And we are a bit fearful, aren't we, of taking this step to provide new elders. We need not be afraid. Let us look to our Lord. Let us pray for men, and they have to be men, I'll come to that next Sunday morning, who will be part of this team. Uh, we don't want people who can't work with us as a team. We don't want somebody who will be acting independently. Imagine if that's happening in a football team. Well, you usually have it happening. Uh, we, we want team players. And more than anything, in order to care for you as a flock, the, any of the new elders must be able to uphold uh, myself and Andy and whoever will be an assistant for the future. It's an oxymoron otherwise. It doesn't make any sense. And I want to end on an encouraging note. I'm just mindful of Act 6. They sorted themselves out, didn't they, organisationally in Act 6. They needed uh, deacons to do the physical work. And do you know what happened after that? If you look at Act 6, this is so encouraging. They set before the apostles the men that the congregation had chosen, and when they had prayed and they had laid hands on them, then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And it was such a blessing that many of the priests, imagine that, were obedient to the faith. We're not here to be politicians. We're here to do what is right before God. And if we come with an attitude of who is sufficient for this task, this noble task, and pray that the Lord will guide us, then who knows, that may be a precursor to a time of greater blessing. We'll leave it at that. We'll come next Sunday morning, God willing, to the qualifications, to the character of an elder. But let's uh, sing, uh, and then we'll uh, pray together the grace. Uh, It's a hymn about the church. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. Number 333, 333.
Let me pray and then we'll say the grace. So, Father in heaven, uh, we're grateful uh, for thy word and its instruction. And we just want to thank thee now for each elder. Uh, Father, we are grateful for every one and for the godliness and the different gifts. And, uh, Father, even though we, we've concentrated a bit on this uh, holding up the ministry of the word, uh, we, we know, Father, uh, that uh, the, the elders are just good pastors uh, looking after the, the flock. And we just pray that we'd have a right understanding as a church of uh, this team and uh, this uh, 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 supporting uh, of those that have been called to minister the word. Lord, we don't want a one-man ministry, as it were, but we don't want either just to be every Tom, Dick, and Harry in charge. Lord, for, forgive me if I've said anything uh, unwise. Uh, Lord, uh, just uh, continue with us, um, especially as we continue to look at what elders do and the qualifications. And now, let us say together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.